الجزيرة بودكاست A fire at one of the world's largest refugee camps has brought new focus on the plight of the Rohingya. They've been stuck in Bangladesh since fleeing a 2017 crackdown in Myanmar. So what does the future hold for them? I'm Mohamed Jamjoum and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast where we dissect, analyze and help define major global stories. All right, let's go ahead and bring in the rest of our guests now in Dhaka. Wendy McCants, Bangladesh Country Director of the Norwegian Refugee Council. In Fairfax, Virginia, Tom Andrews, UN Special Rapporteur on the Situation of Human Rights in Myanmar. And in Hamburg, Dr. Ambia Praveen, Chairperson of the European Rohingya Council and founder of the Rohingya Medics Organization. A warm welcome to you all and thanks so much for joining us today on Inside Story. Dr. Praveen, let me start with you today. Um, there have been numerous fires in the camps in Cox's Bazaar that have impacted Rohingya refugees. Um, this latest one, it really just highlights how dire the situation remains for Rohingya refugees, right? And also, I want to ask you, how traumatic is this for the refugees who are impacted by these fires? Thank you for the question. I'll try to be short, but, um, you know, there are a lot of uh, negative uh, things have been happening a uh, lot of things have been happening, especially on the negative side for the Rohingyas, especially uh, living in uh, Bangladesh. And um, they have been also, uh, they are becoming, not only our people are uh, with the time uh, bombarded uh, with the huge challenges of life and open to traumas like the the incident happened yesterday. And it, it, it happened also last year and also in 2021. And there were several times these kind of incidents have happened. Then plus, after this incident, there was also a shortage of uh, food um, um, uh, vouchers for our people. And plus, these people are not only becoming the vulnerable, but also they are becoming uh, the the that they are the the help that they need from the international community and from the locals uh, society is getting worse so if you see this triggering often these incidents and the accidents happening in the camp where people are having a, these days a zero hope uh, to the the repatriation and for the justice and the, that their life will be better these people um, the, the international community and the Bangladesh um, government have noticed, but nothing has been done. So you can see that there is a, um, a lack of policies, or you can say zero policies to help the Rohingyas living in Bangladesh. Mm. And we should also not forget when we see there are people who are running away, taking the um, dangerous journeys to travel to Indonesia or Malaysia, mm. or um, dying and then being the hands in the human traffickers. We should not be astonished what is going on. So you can see that these uh, accidents and incidents are happening and there is no uh, from the stakeholders there is no concrete steps to help these vulnerable people tom when incidents like these fires get reported there is often collective shock there are calls to assist the rohingya more but sadly things do not seem to improve for the rohingya you have been sounding the alarm for a while now you've been calling out the international community for their failure to act why aren't the Rohingya getting the kind of attention that they deserve? That's a very good question, Mohammed. And first and foremost, thank you for airing this program and focusing attention on this crisis, because the fact is uh, the Rohingya are an invisible people <clears throat> to the world. And what you have among uh, various leaders of various countries, cer certainly members of the Human Rights Council, who I report to in Geneva, 
um, speak uh, very loudly about the Rohingya and the importance of <clears throat> international support. The problem is most of the countries that are represented are not providing funding for the Rohingya refugees in Bangladesh. <clears throat> and we've had an announcement that there's a 17% cut because of the inadequate funds being provided by the international community. It's been announced that there is a 17% cut in food rations and in the camps, and there will be an additional cut in the next few weeks. So individuals will be going from 39 cents, U.S. cents per day for food, down to 27 cents per day for food. Now, you try to survive on 27 cents per day for food, but that is exactly what the people in these camps, the Rohingya people in these camps, are going to have to live on because of the shortfall of the emergency response plan for the for the Rohingya uh, that is, uh, I believe, unconscionable uh, by the international community. I mean, the people of the in these camps, the Rohingya in these camps, cannot eat political rhetoric. They cannot eat resolutions. They need food. And the international community has not been providing the food and assistance that they that they need and deserve. Uh, Wendy, you heard Tom there talk about uh, something that's made a lot of headlines recently, which is the fact that these food vouchers for the Rohingya that they that they have been cut and that they that they might face more cuts going forward because of the funding gap. Um, I've heard so much concern from so many Rohingya refugees about this. How concerned are you and your colleagues uh, at your organization, NRC, as well as other aid organizations? And and how might this impact? How catastrophic might this be for the population there in the camps? Yeah, no, absolutely. We're incredibly worried about this. As Tom says, there's a sort of 17% um, cut in the food rations, which means that the um, refugees will have to try and work out how else to substitute that. So um, to negative coping mechanisms, we're seeing great protection concerns already in the camps over the last few years about um, early marriage, for example, um, which means that if the food cuts happen, then uh, there's more likely to be people who are looking on ways to, to mitigate that themselves. Um, what we're trying to find is really a solution to, to move that forward a little bit. So the conversation isn't necessarily about um, more funding, more funding, which is needed, but actually we need to adapt slightly the strategy so that the, the refugees can actually look to self-sustain a little bit more, be able to access some of the, the income generating activities, be able to self-sustain. Um, so I think that's the, the takeaway on that one as well. Uh, Dr. Praveen, um, let me ask you, as a doctor, how much concern do you have about this food aid situation in particular? I, I ask because malnutrition is already quite high, especially among children in the camps in, in Bangladesh. I mean, how much worse does this all make things for the refugees? You know, um, the Rohingyas um, are not only um, have deprived, not only in their homeland, but also in Bangladesh, unfortunately, deprived from basic human rights. And uh, one of them is the food. So our children above, um, I mean, uh, under five years old, they were already malnourished. And with these reduction of the vouchers, uh, it will also increase the malnutrition of our people, uh, among our children, and also the ladies who are pregnant, the the the, the uh, weak people. We ha have chronic uh, women and also children and also adults who are also um, having the chronic issues, health issues. They will be also affected with this. So they will be, uh, and then with this um, um, malnutrition, they will be also prone to other infections 
infectious, they will they won't be having a healthy uh, development and also growth, and also they will be open or they will be vulnerable towards the towards the um, traumas and dehumanizations processes. And because of that, these children will be also not in, will be involved in the crimes. The youth will be not also involved in the crimes, but also the girls, our girls, will be in the child marriages and the sexual violences. They might also go for prostitution. Um, the the parents will be um, uh, forcing them or will be forced to send them to other countries through the dangerous ways so that they can lead a normal life. So in general, our our issue, the international community has to understand mm. that these are the vulnerable people who left the country in 2017. I mean, they were always coming from the Myanmar due to the historical systematic violences in our motherland, Myanmar. People were coming from 1970 and 2017. It occurred the most, the genocide last phase took place. So when we came to our, our loyal uh, country, um, uh, Bangladesh, and also to the international community, mm. trusting them that they will give us justice. They will take care of us. They will provide us safety and security, and they will do the maximum to do it. On the other side, some um, help has been provided not only for the interests of the Rohingyas, mm. but they're also for the interest. Now you can see the hostility is growing in the among the um, locals, you know, local community, and and the international community has also given up because there is no um, common interest between the Bangladesh mm. and the uh, clear interest between the Bangladesh and the Myanmar. Repatriation is not taking place and Bangladesh has also given up. You have just might have heard two or three months back ago, the Prime Minister Sheikh Hasina herself declared that the Rohingyas are burdened to them. They cannot do so much for the Rohingyas and therefore, if a Prime Minister stakeholder says such words, there is a lack of rule of law or law of order and um, uh, rules are also uh, are not properly handled. So people are doing whatever they want and with these accidents what happened there is still the barbed wires are still there it has not been removed from the um, uh, previous accidents we have seen that, mm. that the children have lost their lives, children were injured, and the children, while playing also through the barbed wires, they are injured. They cannot have a free life. And then people cannot, you know, we people D Dr. Praveen, are... I'm, I'm so, Dr. Praveen, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Let, let me get back to, to, to the question about uh, some of the, the difficulties faced by the children there. I, I want to just go to Tom uh, with regards to a question I had. Uh, something that Dr. Praveen brought up was the historical systematic abuse suffered by the Rohingyas especially in Myanmar, um, you know, often when the media focuses on the Rohingya, they talk about the refugees in, in Bangladesh, but there are hundreds of thousands of them that remain in Myanmar. And I want to ask you what conditions are like for them. Conditions are bad, uh, Mohammed. Uh, there are over, well over 600,000 Rohingya in uh, Myanmar uh, as, as we speak right now, uh, largely in Rakhine State. And of, of those, um, over 130,000 are in internment camps. And they have been in these internment camps for now over a decade. Uh, they have, as you mentioned at the outset of the program, they have no rights. Uh, they are denied basic human rights and even basic substance. They are unable to, to move. Even those who are outside of the in, internment camps uh, are under guard by the military. And remember this, they are uh, under the watch of a military uh, that committed genocide against them um, just a few years ago. So it's a terrifying situation that they're living in. Uh, they are in desperate conditions. 
Um, and so we cannot forget the fact that there, and I'm glad you asked that question, that there are hundreds of thousands of Rohingya uh, in peril as we speak inside of Myanmar. And Tom, let me just follow up on a, on a point you're making, because the kinds of testimonies that I've collected from Rohingya refugees um, in, in Cox's Bazaar, when I've been there on reporting trips in the past, um, when it comes to the abuses that they encountered at the hands of the Myanmar military, quite frankly, uh, these testimonies are among the most horrific things I've ever heard in my career. Um, and you've said in the past that war crimes and crimes against humanity are being committed every day with impunity by the military junta of Myanmar. What needs to happen in order for this to stop? The international community has to pay attention to this crisis. And when they do, they need to make a, we as an international community, need to make a strategic, coordinated response to this crisis so that we maximize the pressure on the military junta that we cut off its access to weapons and to the money that they're using uh, to commit these crimes against humanity uh, and these war crimes. Um, if we took an approach similar to the one taken uh, with Ukraine, in which countries join together, focus on where the greatest vulnerability of the junta is, and then target those vulnerabilities, cutting off their resources, cutting off uh, their weapons, then we could begin to see uh, real pressure on the junta. But right now, uh, the response has been uncoordinated. It's been disjointed. Uh, there are lots of ways that the junta can get around the sanctions that are in place. We're, we've been documenting the various ways uh, that they're getting around these sanctions because of a lack of enforcement. So in short, the international community needs to focus on this crisis, and the international community needs to get much more serious about addressing this crisis in a coordinated, strategic, and effective way. Uh, Wendy, uh, may I ask you, what's happening on the ground in, in the camps now in the aftermath of, of this fire? The reports are that at least 2,000 shelters have burned, at least 12,000 refugees are homeless. This is obviously a horrific situation for members of a minority that's considered to be one of the most persecuted minorities in the world. Uh, these people were displaced already. Many of them now are displaced again. Uh, are they being relocated? Um, how, how are they being helped? Yeah, so as you can imagine, um, yesterday was pretty horrific. Um, you had 2,165 2, houses were burnt to the ground, leaving 12,000 homeless, as you say. Um, those people would be moved to uh, share properties with friends and family or into other centres which were away from the fire, such as learning centres or the, the, the camp charge office. Um, and then we start the process today of assessing whose plots have been damaged, who needs what uh, materials to start to rebuild that. Of course, everybody doesn't have their own cooking equipment. Um, they don't have anything to keep themselves warm. So giving out um, food, lots of water, um, rations, etc. It's, it's a very temporary measure, as you might imagine, for today. And then there's going to be a longer term issue about where do we, how do we build, etc. But when my team was speaking to, to some people on the ground today, you know, what they want to do is just get back on their feet and, and start to rebuild their own shelters. So we distribute things like... Um, tarpaulins and bamboos so they can start to put up their own shelters um, but again it's it's a huge operation that needs to be managed and these things happen they take time um, but they have they're trying to happen very quickly starting from today but there's a lot of food going out in particular in the evenings hot foods water um, trying to, to make sure people are protected as much as possible and then of course we have perhaps some of the the psychological the uh, psych psychosocial support that's needed um, for some of the children in particular um, in the fire in 2021, uh, when I was here as well in, in Cox's Bazaar, 
there's a lot of missing children at that point because they flee and they get scared, they get lost um, because of the fires. So trying to make sure that everyone is accounted for and back with their families as soon as possible, which is, is pretty heartbreaking. Uh, Wendy, if I could also just follow up with you. Um, I, I have reported several times from the camps in Cox's Bazaar and, and you know, when you go there, you notice right away just how extremely overcrowded they are, how dire the conditions are and, and remain. Um, if you could just help our viewers understand a little bit better how easy it is for a fire to spread in that environment and, and how dangerous it is for the population when a fire starts. Yeah, no, incredibly. It's a very, very congested space. Um, for some of the, I'm sure people have seen some of the footage and some of the pictures, but it's impossible to contain it almost. Um, it, we were pretty lucky, in fact, with yesterday, we were able to put in some fire breaks around the fire so that it didn't spread far into the other camps because when you talk about camps, they're not, there isn't a, a gap between them. They're pretty much back to back. Um, so that that really was a, a life-saving measure, I think, that happened. The, there are um, disaster management teams that um, are trained up inside the camps and if there's something like a fire, and this is fire season, it's very dry at the moment before the monsoons come, um, those responders are able to, to try and get to the site of the fire, but the pathways are very narrow. Um, you can't get a, a fire truck down there, fire engine down there. There's not a lot of pumping water that you can use, so it's very limited in what, what's possible. So you have some extinguishers, you have some sand, sand bags and sand buckets, etc. And you have some of the, the water, almost like trolleys, that come through those camps. Um, but it's, it's very difficult to be able to stop it, given the mm. congestion um, that exists there. Uh, Tom, uh, when it comes to the legal cases that are ongoing, when it comes to the plight of the Rohingya, there is the case at the International Court of Justice. Uh, there's an investigation at the International Criminal Court. Um, I mean, are you optimistic this is actually going to lead to justice for the Rohingya? I mean, is all this moving fast enough, or is, or is it just not moving, or is it just not moving along? No, it's not moving fast enough. Uh, justice is, is slow, very slow. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, this evidence, and there's lots of it, and we continue to mount evidence, um, is going to be used for these uh, prosecutions. And in the meantime, I'm hopeful that the international community will pay greater attention uh, to this crisis and to these abuses and will uh, focus, A, more pressure on the, on the military junta, uh, take away its means of continuing these violations, but be to provide the basic support and need mm. uh, needs of the people in in the, in the camps in in, uh, in Bangladesh. Dr. Praveen, um, humanitarian aid for the Rohingya uh, it's it's been declining uh, for for a couple of years now. Um, it's expected to fall even further this year. Why do you think that is, and and how frustrating is that for you? I mean, you you work so hard to try to raise awareness when it comes to the plight of the Rohingya and and how their basic needs must be met. How how difficult is that for you? It is um, very difficult because, you know, um, uh, we, we, it's the Rohingya cause. It's not only the political cause, you know. There are also other crises are uh, apparently moving around. And we need justice. At the same time, we need to maintain these vulnerable people um, to mentally and medically so stable that one day when we repatriate, we don't become a burden to our own community, that we will be able to contribute ourselves to the locals and also to our country and also to be um, uh, effective for the global uh, society. So when we raise the, uh, to maintain uh, the, the basic human rights, it is so difficult. And for example, the 
the the our people whatever they are getting it's not at all enough so they are also seeking from the diasporas and when these diasporas we are also working people category and we have to also financially and morally support them mm. we have to financially have also financially work for ourselves because we need also uh, money and all those stuff at the same time we have to campaign parallelly to work for our community and also to take care of also very difficult now you can see so the best solution among what mr andrews has said it is also very important that we don't only we have to stabilize our parallelly by stabilizing our people we have to make them independent if uh, if we make them independent it is a great solution because if this food crisis and if our people will be able to maintain our uh, the camp itself on its own um, and they will be educated how to extinguish the fire what needed to be done so they will be able to take care of themselves and they will be able to earn if these people can come out and be, get, will get the education so they will be they will see the hope and they will not be the lost generation one must not forget we all only talking about the refugees living inside the camp and also in, in in Myanmar our people but we are forgetting the diasporas that there's a very minimum number of diasporas mm. um, from the rohingya community are, who are standing for our people and we are also traumatized we are also exposed to these things physically i might not be there but morally and mentally i am with my people because mm. we are them they are us so we are also affected with with the tragedies the 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 persecution the atrocities they have been going through daily and which affects the rohingya activists or the leadership mm. and nobody is there to support also mentally people are forgetting these are the vulnerable people they are the group of protected mm -hmm. group of uh, um, uh, people and that according to icj icc we need to protect mm -hmm. them the protection does not mean that only waiting for them to give us a justice it means to give us justice from everywhere justice mm. does not mean only in the legal issues or accountability justice means means to give them the basic human rights not only in the camp but also inside the myanmar which there is a huge lack of it right. the covid came the russian ukrainian war came things will come mm. that does not mean that these vulnerable people should be forgotten and as i've said earlier please do not make us dependent on new people do not make us dependent on the ngos to the to the um, uh, bangladesh government mm. make us independent so that we will be able to stand on our feet we will be able to write our right. own stories we will be able to make um, awareness Do for our people Dr. Praveen, I'm, I'm sorry, we, we have run out of time, so we're going to have to leave the conversation there. But, but we thank you all so much. Thanks so much to all of our guests, Wendy McCants, Tom Andrews, and Dr. Ambia Praveen. This episode was produced by Dearman Fleming, Usama Aluni, Fungi Nguyen, and Jimmy Gerahun. Studio sound was by Sasha Andreevich. The program was edited by Sarun Murali, Lynn Nguyen, and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. Tune in on Tuesday for our next show. Thank you.